I said, how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, a heritage most beautiful of all nations. And I thought you would call me my father. I would not turn from following me. Yet surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. A voice on the bare heights is heard, the weeping and pleading of Israel's sons, because they have perverted their way, they have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, O faithless sons, you will he- I will hear your faithlessness, heal your faithlessness. Behold, we come to you. For you are the Lord our God, truly the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains, truly in, in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. But from our youth the shameful things has devoured all for which our fathers labored, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. Let us lie down in our shame and let our dishonor cover us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth, even to this day. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, if you swear as the Lord lives, in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Lord, we hear these words um, in in these scriptures tonight that you call us to yourself, that you call us your father, and you call us as wayward sons and daughters to return to you. You call yourself husband and you call us, your wife, to come back to you. And we pray, Lord, that we could be like these disciples that we would hear your word, hear your voice, turn to face you, and leave those things behind us that we need to leave behind us. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, good evening. As I said, my name is Chris Myers. Um, As you probably know from the letter that went out the week, Thursday a week, eh, last Thursday not this Thursday, before that, um, that that Jay is transitioning out of his role as rector here. He talked about that last Sunday. Our bishop was here to talk about his role in that. Um, If you do have immediate questions about that, I'd encourage you to go watch that video and then also feel free to reach out to me or to the vestry. Um, The vestry are the the six lay leaders who um, have helped us with what we call the temporal matters of the church, and that includes who our rector is and their job description and all of that. Um, so their emails are in the back of the bulletin if you have any questions along with my email. And, you know, we're waiting for Jay's COVID test and his family, so pre- please pray for him um, and that they would be protected and, and all of that. And uh, please stay updated for anything that that might change pending <laughs> a positive result that, that could change some things in the weeks to come. So I just uh, ask you to be flexible as we kind of figure out when his last Sunday is. We put it on the calendar for next Sunday, um, but if he has to quarantine for... 14 days, I mean, we, we don't know what that's going to look like. So I ask you for your patience and thank you for that as well. Um, tonight, we are still in the season of Epiphany, but we have all these scriptures that are 
very clearly about uh, repentance. So in a certain way, we are like tipping our hat towards Lent, that it's on the horizon, <laughs> the season of penitence and the season of repentance. But in a way, these texts are very tied together because Epiphany in many ways is a season about mission. Epiphany is about the light of Christ coming into the world. You know, the pivotal Epiphany story is the wise men coming to see the light of Christ in the manger. And then in the following weeks in Epiphany, we see that that light spreads outward, out into the nations to call people to that light. So there's a sense in which, and this is what I want to hit tonight as, as I preach to you, is the connection between mission and repentance, or the connection between repentance and mission, and why our mission as a church, our ability to go out into the world rejoicing in the spirit, our ability to be the light of Christ is in many ways dependent on our ability to repent in, in a true way to turn back to God. And I wanna spend our time together in this amazing passage from the book of Jeremiah. I hope you noticed that there were multiple voices at play in this passage, that there were multiple people speaking and in a certain way, it almost, act, it almost is like a confession liturgy where God calls out to his people and then the people respond and then God responds to their response. So keep that shape in mind that God speaks and it's on the basis of the word that his people hear and examine themselves and then God calls them back on the basis of their confession. So we have this passage, it's poetic, it has lots of concrete, uh, vivid images in it, and Jeremiah wants us to see in it not just the sins of the people, but the heart of God and the misalignment between those things. That God is over here calling his people to himself and his people are actively running away from him. And the key word is turn over and over and over again. In fact, it's in all of our translation, but in the Hebrew, it's turn, 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 everything's turn. Turn back to me. So I want you to think about repentance tonight in terms of relationship, how we are aligned or misaligned with God, but also in terms of a trajectory, a direction in which you are headed. Because if you're headed in one direction and somebody's behind you and says turn, you have to turn around <laughs> to go in that direction, you have to change your trajectory. And just to drive this home, I'm gonna give you a literal translation of one of the verses here. Verse 22, in our uh, bulletin it says, return, O faithless sons, I will hear your faithlessness. You get that first turn, return. But more literally, it would say, turn, you, you turning away sons, and I will heal your turnings. That's kind of how Hebrew works, and it doesn't sound like good English to us, because not really, but just those repetitions. Turn, you turning away sons, and I will turn your turn, I will heal your turnings. Meaning, I will heal that thing in you that's prone to wander. That great phrase in the hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. <laughs> prone to leave the God I love. God, will you heal that thing in me that turns away from you? Will you set my trajectory towards you and your face? And all of this is cast in terms of relationships, specifically the parental relationship and the marriage relationship. Because in verse 19, God says to his people, I thought you would call me my father and you would not turn from following me. 
and yet surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband. So it's all these words, verbs about leaving, about movement away from God and God calling people back to movement towards him. And I'm hitting this word turn hard and I'm hitting this idea of trajectory hard because when we talk about repentance, it's easy to talk about it in abstract terms. That it's something like, well, I changed my mind. That's a little fuzzy. What does that mean? I changed my mind. Jeremiah is interested in, did you change your direction? Did you change which way you were going? And we see this with the disciples in the reading from Mark, right? They're doing one thing and then Jesus calls and suddenly they're doing something else. They're moving somewhere else. They're going in a a different direction. And I would say that the relational language of fathers and sons, of husbands and wives, does not allow us to think of this in abstract terms. It's very concrete. It's, you had this relationship, you violated that relationship, turn back to it and I will heal it. And there's all sorts of striking and concrete images throughout this passage that give us a picture of what this faithlessness looks like and a picture of what faithfulness looks like. A picture of what turning away from God looks like and a picture of what turning towards God looks like. The people confess their Idolatry, verse 23, truly the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains. I won't go into all of that, but that's a vivid image. They're talking about what Baal worship is. They're talking about what they have chosen instead of God, how they have chosen to worship instead of God. Verse 24, from our youth, the shameful thing. That is a euphemism for Baal. Sometimes the prophets can't even bring themselves to write the name of the false god and they will put the shame in, the shameful thing. The shameful thing, what, he's, what has that false god done? He has devoured all for which our fathers labored, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. That is a vivid, concrete image of the effects of idolatry, that the idol turns on you and devours you. That's not, I changed my mind. That's concrete. It's vivid. And so too do we have these vivid images of what the repentant heart looks like. Vivid images of what the heart that is turned back to God looks like. In chapter four, verse three, the Lord says back to the people of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Your heart is like a ground that needs the rocks removed, the soil to be turned so that it could be and have the potential to be fruitful. You are hard-hearted. That's a a concrete image. Break, not change your mind, but break up your fallow ground. And this vivid image, circumcise your hearts. Somebody came to you and said, I changed my mind. You're like, okay, that sounds nice. Somebody comes to you and says, I circumcised my heart. Ouch, how did that go? But for Jeremiah and for the, the Hebrew prophets in particular, the heart is, we would think of that as the seat of our affections. And it's that plus for Jeremiah. It's your everything. It's the seat of who you are. I've taken the thing that I am and I've consecrated it to the Lord. Like Abraham consecrated himself and his sons to the Lord when he made a covenant to them. I am going to circumcise my heart and consecrate myself to the Lord. No more mountain orgies, no more delusional hills. I am circumcising my 
heart. I'm consecrating my life, my work, my fruitfulness, who I am to the Lord. So the, we have these concrete images of repentance. We have this concrete image of repentance as turning and this idea that we are on a trajectory. We are on a trajectory towards God or we are on a trajectory towards some other thing. In this case, it's Baal. You can put whatever idol you want in that. This past Monday, we had our uh, public theology discussion about fear and nationalism, and it was great. It was a really great discussion. Uh, not everybody agreed about everything, but it was civil, it was enlightening, we all learned something. It was great. But one of the readings that we did for that was a chapter by a book, uh, from a book by a guy's name's Coises, and he has the greatest mustache of all time, you can look him up. And he talks about ideologies. So he talks about nationalism and liberalism and communism and every ism. And what he says is every ideology is an idolatry. It's this temptation to worship something else, or it's a temptation to take something else and do God and blank. God and blank. God and my marriage. God and relationships. God and money. God and career. God and nation. God and myself. Whatever. But there's no God and, it's just God. Trajectory. Where is your life aimed at? And if it's not aimed at God, how do we course correct? How do we turn? How do we turn towards the Lord? How do we change our trajectory? And of course, there are those pictures of repentance that are full 180s. The, the most famous story of that is the prodigal son. He literally turns away from his father, takes his inheritance, goes into the other land, squanders it, finds himself in the pigsty, comes to himself, turns around, and goes home. That's full 180 repentance, okay? And we, you know, when you, if you came to faith in, in a radical way, maybe that's your story. Right? I was going one way, I was doing all this stuff, and now I turned and now I'm following God. But that's not the only kind of repentance that there is. There's all the course corrections that we have to have. If you're navigating a ship and you just get off by a degree, and you wake up a few hours later and you find you are very off course. How do you get back here? How do you get back in alignment with God? It's one reason I wanted to reintroduce the corporate confession tonight. We haven't had it for a while. I've been trying to keep our services short for COVID reasons and all of that. But again, tipping our hat towards Lent, honoring these scriptures, the importance of being honest with ourselves. And corporate confession is a form of that. You know, we don't always have enough time and space to really dig in there, but it's just, it's just that confession that, okay, my thoughts, my words, my deeds, my doings, my undoings, they're not in alignment with love of God and neighbor. And I'm gonna own that. I'm gonna own that together with the people of God. And that corporate confession, I hope, is, is fuel for individual confession, not a substitution for it. Because it would just be easy to hide behind the corporate confession. Say, well, I did that on Sunday, I'm good. I don't need to think about my thoughts, words, or deeds for the rest of the week, or my doings and undoings, I'm, I'm fine. Or as the older confession has it, which is so evocative, the devices and the desires of my heart. Are we examining the devices and the desires of our hearts? That's where we ask God, search me and know me and show me if there is any wayward way within me. That's trajectory. 
I'm going this way. I think I'm going towards God. Actually, God, you're over here. How do I course correct? So corporate confession is important for that. Individual confession is important for that. A season maybe that the church sets aside for self-examination and penitence, that might be good for that too. If only that were coming in a couple weeks. Lent is a great time to get into alignment with God. So all that is probably obvious if you've been around Anglicanism for a while or any liturgical tradition. But I also want to put the emphasis on the importance of community to help us realign. We need other people. We need the mirror of other people to help us know where we are going. If our aim is off, if we're going in the wrong direction. We are strangers to ourselves. Sometimes we are in the worst position to know how we are doing <laughs> as individuals. Um, the trajectory of the self into the self is one of the worst trajectories. And honestly, over the last nine months, because of the global pandemic and we've spent time alone, I know I've fallen into that. The trajectory of myself into myself related to fear, related to anxiety, related not to anger, related to not knowing what to do, not knowing how to act. I, I've been very guilty of that, that trajectory of myself into myself. And it's been community that's helped me realize, oh no, I'm not, I'm not lined up. I'm not going the right trajectory. So a question that we can ask ourselves, but maybe even ask someone that we love and trust in community is what am I, if you had to say for me, what am I aiming my life at right now? What would you say is the trajectory of my life? What would you say is important to me? What would you say is that I value? Um, what would you say is the thing that's keeping me going and what I'm aiming my life at? And that might be a hard conversation, but it's important. It's important to have people, we, my wife and I talk about this, we'll just signal that we're about to have one of those conversations by saying mirror of truth. <laughs> like that means duck, right? <laughs> I'm about to hold up the mirror of truth because we're often not in the best position to know what's going on in our own hearts. We need other people to do that. So corporate and individual confession, Lent, and community. And, and I think we're, we're, we're threading that together again. You know, we're still in the middle of this pandemic. The vaccine's coming, all of that, but there's still a lot of uncertainty. We're not, we haven't gathered as a full body, but we're knitting it back together. And I'm asking you all to hang in with us because <laughs> we need all of you. We need the body. Um, in this time of transition, my pastor in particular, but other people, y'all have been so great to me and have been a mirror of truth to me and have been encouraging to me. And I hope that y'all have experienced that as well, that you have those people in your life that can do both of those things. You don't just need the people that cut you off at the knees. <laughs> you need the people that build you back up too. Um, because you gotta keep walking. We gotta keep moving in a direction. So, repentance is about a trajectory. It's about more than an abstraction. It's not just changing our minds. It's about circumcising our hearts. And we need, we need things in our lives, practices in our lives, intention in our lives to make sure that we are aiming our lives at the right thing, that we can turn back to God. But then the lingering question is, how does this connect to epiphany? How does this connect to mission? Why does any of this matter. And there's these two, I think, astonishing verses 
in Jeremiah 4, verses 1 and 2. And this is the Lord speaking. He says, If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth and right, justice and in righteousness, then the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. If you repent, mission will happen. If you repent, your vocation as my people will go forward. From, from Abraham onward, God promised, I will make a great nation of you, and in you all nations will be blessed. In the seed, your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That was always Israel's trajectory, was to be a blessing to the world. And when they got out of alignment with, with God, they were not a blessing to the world, and they certainly weren't a blessing to themselves. <laughs> Inward strife, warring, splitting into kingdoms, all the stuff that makes the Old Testament very vivid reading experience. <laughs> they weren't in alignment. And because they weren't, the nations weren't blessed in them. You have that golden moment in Solomon's reign, the temple and the wise man within the temple and the queen of Sheba comes with her riches. And that is a picture of this. This idea that when the people of God are in alignment with God, then they shine forth with the light of God and mission is possible. In our own liturgy, our trajectory after we come here is outward. Let us go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Repentance and mission are intimately connected. And we see this, of course, in Jesus' preaching in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom, the rule and reign of God is coming into the world, so repent. Get yourself in alignment with God because I want you to be part of that kingdom and I want you to be part of that kingdom's mission. Repentance paves the way for, the peop for people to encounter the living God because these are people who are following God and other people can get in line with him as well. So it is Jesus who in a certain way is looking back to the whole prophetic tradition. He's looking back to the whole Old Testament and he's gathering it up into these simple words, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? That God's rule and reign is coming into the world. And this is an idea that goes back to the church fathers, but I want you to take it with you. It's this idea that Jesus is himself the kingdom. Jesus is the kingdom unto himself because he is the place where heaven and earth meet. He is the place where the will of God is done perfectly. He is the answer to the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So to follow him, to hear his voice and follow him in that trajectory is so important because it makes mission possible. I said this in a sermon about repentance last year, but that repentance means that we surrender to the one who can remake us. We surrender to the one who can remake us. And that's so important because the Psalms and the prophets are adamant about what you behold, you become. That's why it's our slogan, <laughs> our mission statement. Whatever you worship, you will become. Jeremiah talks about it a lot. You worship a deaf idol, you'll become deaf. You worship a devouring thing, you'll become a devouring person. But you worship the living and true God, you will come to resemble him. You wanna look like Jesus? Follow Jesus. Discipleship is the path of repentance. Come follow me 
and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is the kingdom and Jesus is also the answer to this question. Who can break up the fallow ground of our hard heart? (laughs) Who can circumcise our hearts if not Jesus? If not the living embodiment of God's rule and reign, if not the incarnate son of God, if not the one who in all his ways was always in perfect alignment with the father, whose trajectory was from the father back to the father to bring us with him. So if you hear that command to circumcise your heart, if you hear that command to break up the fallow ground and you say, I can't do that, then you're right. (laughs) Because we need God to do that for us. We need him to break up the fallow ground. We need him to circumcise our hearts. So maybe I'm calling you to an early Lent. If so, fine. We've kind of been in Lent for a year anyway. We didn't really have Easter, not really. We didn't get to do it together. Didn't feel right. So let's just keep Lent going. Let's ask God to break up the fallow ground in our hearts. Let's ask God to circumcise our hearts so that we might bring his mission into the world, so that we might be the blessings to the nations. Amen.